early social skills interventions, family capacity and well-being, and prevention of behavior problems. Those are just three of the areas that my guest focuses on. Welcome to the Autism Outreach Podcast. I had a wonderful conversation today with Dr. Tracy Ralston. She's an assistant professor of special education at Texas State University, and she has more than 15 years of experience supporting children with developmental delay in their families in a variety of applied capacities. Today, we talk all about how to support parents. We talk about mindful parenting. We also talk about supporting family well-being. I really love that holistic idea. We also get into a very important topic and very interesting. What is the difference between natural environment teaching and NDBI, naturalistic developmental behavioral interventions? There is a big distinction. um, And I've been talking about NDBI quite a bit here on the podcast and hope to do a CEU course towards the end of the year. So how can we help support our youngest learners? If you are listening and you're working and supporting young autistic learners. This is a great conversation, and I can't wait for you to tune in. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Welcome to the Autism Outreach Podcast. We have a great show for you today. We have with us Dr. Tracy Ralston. Thank you so much, Tracy, for coming on. I'm excited to chat today. Me too. And I was just telling Tracy before we pressed record that I think that I found her work on maybe LinkedIn. I talk about social media a lot, and sometimes people don't think LinkedIn is social media, but it is. Um, And it's a really great place to connect with people who are very professional, and there are a lot of BCBAs, PhDs, a lot of cool people. Um, I was just putting together something from my uh, a previous episode with Dr. Jonathan Fernand. I don't know if you know him, but he is doing really great work. Um, and he came on the podcast recently. And we we connected on LinkedIn and Dr. Cody Morris. I could go on and on, but <laughs> thank you for being online so we can access all the great work you're doing. But for those of us that are new to you and your work, can you tell us a little bit about you and your journey into the field? Sure. So a little bit about me now is I'm an assistant professor at Texas State University, um, which is in San Marcos, Texas, a little bit south of Austin. And um, previously, I held a position at Penn State University. I took a brief hiatus from academia in order to come back home to Texas. And for a couple of years, I was a clinical director for an ABA clinic here in Austin. Um, My journey into the field started, I guess, about 2006 when um, I was studying special education at Texas A&M University, and I became a special education teacher, and I was going through um, my practicum experiences, and one of the practicum coordinator asked me, would you be open to... um, an autism unit for your student teaching. And I was like, sure, I guess so. I really wanted to be a preschool teacher uh, for children with disabilities, um, but I thought, yeah, that sounds good. And I just totally fell in love with it. Um, It was a kindergarten through second grade, self-contained, mostly classroom. Mm -hmm. So um, this was in College Station Independent School District. And And so pretty much the the children who 
really needed extra supports in the district, they received those in this unit. Um, it was very verbal behavior focused, mm-hmm. um, very behavioral. Um, and I really fell in love with it. And um, I didn't really know what ABA was. I remember sitting in on a meeting with a board certified behavior analyst. And I asked her like, what is ABA? And she just drew this big umbrella out and kind of showed me that it was a science and it had different applications. There was discrete trial teaching, naturalistic teaching, you know, even visual schedules, all of these things. She was very kind of holistic. Um, Susan Catlett is her name. She's in Houston. She's wonderful. Um, And then I decided I wanted to be a BCBA because those were the people who had the best ideas who would come into the classroom. So mm-hmm. I went on, I became a teacher for five years. And then um, I got my master's at night. Um, wanted to, you know, kind of go the BCBA route, but I fell in love with research, ended up going to Oregon, um, getting my doctorate, uh, really loved parent training and kind of fell in love with family well being and understanding that. The interventions we do in the classroom only go so far. And so that's kind of what um, got me into supporting families as a whole. And um, and that's kind of where my research is focused today. Interesting. Okay, maybe that's why your name sounds familiar, because I actually lived in Austin, Texas for three years, and maybe you presented or something around that time. So my BCBA supervisor was actually Kelly Rich, who owns Central Texas Autism Center. She was our consultant, um, oh, okay. Kelly Woodrich. Yes, yes. so she okay. was um, the consultant in the classroom and college station at the time. Oh, okay, because <laughs> way back in the day, there were not a lot of BCBAs probably in Texas. And I remember somebody I did my supervision with came from four hours away to we would have this meeting once a month. Um, and then uh, I was an autism facilitator and support specialist um, in Leander ISD. So I worked with uh, Jenny Saavedra. She also has a clinic um, in Austin as well. So, oh, interesting. Small world. Small world. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. It is. I know your name sounds so familiar. <laughs> um, oh, I love that. And it sounds like you're doing such great work in parent training. I know that's so important. I just had on um, the people from Project Impact to talk about um, their protocol. I'm really into naturalistic developmental behavioral interventions, um, NDBI. I had somebody on my podcast last year. Um, we'll link that episode in the show notes, Dr. Ariana Boutain. And she is from this company called KGH up here in Indiana, I believe. And she talked about NDBI. It was kind of like an intro. And then we did a podcast. We did a course. It was very, very popular. So now I um, obviously read the Laura Schreibman. There's an article um, about it. And we'll link that in the show notes too. That might be open access because it's an older article. But I am now working through reading the book. And I'm hoping to do a course about that. Because even though it seems like it's a focus of yours. I feel like there are a lot of people that don't know what that term is, um, even BCBAs that are out there. Um, and I think just more dissemination, you know, how the research to practice cap works. So, um, yes, definitely. I love that program. I love Project yeah. Impact. It's so user friendly. I feel like it's one of the best things for a brand new BCBA to get their hands on um, when they're starting to do family guidance. Um, it, it's just so well thought out and laid out. Um, it's, it's wonderful. 
Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your work now. So do you have a research lab now or what are you focusing on now in your current position? So I just started at Texas State a month ago. So my lab is still up and going. Um, If you go to my website, you'll see I have lab members. Those are... um, They have tenure track positions now across the country, um, but we're still in contact. We still work together. Um, But at Texas State, it's a little bit more of a teaching-focused university, and so I don't have a plethora of doctoral students (laughs) at my hands currently, Um, but we we definitely do still have a lot of publications going and projects going around NDBIs, parent-implemented intervention, um, that sort of thing. Okay, wonderful. And actually, you know, ASHA, so they came out with an article, I was going to contact the people who wrote it, but they came out with a whole article about uh, awareness of what NDBI is for Mm -hmm. speech language pathologists, and for speech language pathologists specifically who are providing early intervention. And it was very interesting to kind of look through that. Um, And once again, I feel like just not a lot of awareness of the power of what NDBI kind of brings to the table for our students and um, things like that. So one of the things I wanted to talk about, I know that in the previously, it sounded like you were doing some different projects that I think are really interesting, and you may have research around these areas. But could you tell us more about your Mindful Routines project? I really liked that. It seemed very parent-friendly. I have three kids of my own. Nobody has an autism diagnosis, but um, I just think I always like to try to support parents. And I just talked to a parent in my area this morning about helping out with advocacy. There's just a lot going on when you're a parent and then having a child who's autistic who may have needs that you're just not familiar with. I think it's hard for parents to embed these things into their everyday routines. And so can you tell us a little bit about that work? Yes. First, I do want to address your NDBI comment because I do get a lot of questions from especially early career BCBAs who believe that maybe NDBIs are the same thing as natural environment training. And they really are not. Um, They they do have a lot of overlap. But I I will say if if that is a question that comes to mind, that dig further into um, trainings and literature because there's a lot more developmental instruction and strategies that um, are encompassed in NDBIs than are in a naturalistic environmental training paradigm where you really are focused more on just generalization. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something I'm really passionate about. So maybe we'll, we can dive into that more yeah. later. Um, but getting back to my mindful routines project, this has been a project that's been in the making for many years. Um, my dissertation study was on an uh, effects of a brief mindfulness-infused behavioral parent training. So this was a uh, program called Practiced Routines that was an NIH grant-funded small business innovation research project. And um, what we know is that parents of children on the autism spectrum, they're just at an increased risk for stress, parenting stress. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not a parent yet, but I have one on the way. And so it's something on my mind a lot. (laughs) Um, But we know that, you know, parenting is a joyful experience and it also is stressful for anyone. But then when you add on layers of communication difficulties, social difficulties, and maybe some, uh, challenging behavior that can just compound the stress associated with parenting a child with unique complex needs. Mm -hmm. And um, so what I noticed in my work as a behavior analyst was that I felt very confident, efficacious, like working one-on-one with children Mm -hmm. 
I had a natural ability for it. I got great training that even helped that enhance that. And I see this with most behavior analysts. They're really great with children or with students. Um, But I do think there are some gaps in some of our training programs related Mm -hmm. to supporting family well-being and parent training Mm -hmm. and kind of beyond this behavior skills training approach. But really, like you mentioned, how can we train someone to embed realistic, feasible strategies, not five-page protocols, but one page that goes on the fridge, Mm -hmm. realistic strategies into their everyday routines just to kind of take, um, you know, manage some of the behavior, prevent it, and then also their own well-being because we know that challenging behavior and stress are bi-directionally related. So when one increases, the other increases. Mm-hmm. One decreases, the other decreases. So why not target them both simultaneously? And not that we're trying to make BCBAs into therapists, because that's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is that there are some things we can do related to simple meditations, right? Mm-hmm. Audio meditations, Um mm-hmm. Simple ways that we can help parents reflect and reward themselves for this the easy things that they did that day um, and kind of use this mindful parenting as a buffer to buffer against some of those stressors in the long run. So like noticing a challenging behavior, noticing some thoughts and feelings that come along with that, mm-hmm. and then not judging it as good or bad, I think mm-hmm. is a very powerful strategy, mm-hmm. you know, because our minds are conditioned to look for problems mm-hmm. and look for the bad, but also, you know, um, we're going to have thoughts and feelings that come along with these challenging behaviors that can impede our ability to implement a strategy, right? Because we feel guilty or something. I'm mm-hmm. not attending to my child. Might It might be difficult to minimize attention and distract and redirect to something else. Um, but if we can really help, help parents um, be very, very compassionate with themselves mm-hmm. and not judge um, their parenting and not judge their thoughts and feelings, I think that can be very, very powerful. And so we have a few studies out there related to mindfulness um, infused behavioral parent training and just mindful parenting and the associations that that has with stress and conduct problems in children. Um, But where I'm kind of going with this next is I want to create something very similar to the Project Impact Curriculum, Mm -hmm. where it's a book, it has worksheets, it has uh, a database with videos that are very easy for a behavior analyst just to click play. And they're they're in this um, time, they have real children in them, they're not actors. (laughs) And, um, you know, it's going to be an eight-week curriculum that a BCBA could follow during family guidance. Um, And kind of the units will be focused on compassion for self and child, mindful play. So kind of that child-directed play that we know is a developmental strategy, praising and rewarding yourself and child, noticing difficult behaviors. And then it will go into more behavioral strategies like operant functions of behavior, replacement behaviors, and building a plan around routines. So maybe that's a dinnertime routine. Um, Maybe that's a cleanup routine. It could be, um, 
you know, getting ready, getting dress routine. So kind of the routine is the unit of analysis to embed Mm -hmm. the strategies in rather than behavior support plan that they're supposed to do all the time. Oh, I love that. That sounds so functional. And I feel like, I mean, I'm very old now, 44, but I remember when I was first starting in the field that talking to parents just made me nervous because I felt like, who am I to say anything? I'm not a parent. I don't understand what they're going through. And it can be really, it can be really hard to take that ownership of a, like, you are the professional. You do have this very specialized skill set. And you're right. We don't talk a lot. I mean, we talk about it a lot at ABA Speech because we're an ASHA and ACE provider. But I think parent training is something that there's so much room for growth as a field. And people just don't feel comfortable. And you know, if you're not doing things yourself like mindfulness, like meditation, those types of things may not be something that you feel comfortable even recommending because if it's not something that you do. So I think this sounds really great. And for those listening that are speech therapists, mostly people who are getting ABA that's covered by insurance, usually there's a parent training component there as well. So BCBAs are meeting with parents where speech therapists, it's it's different, you know, based on your environment. Um, and so you do have this really great time. And I see so often on social media, people saying, does anybody know a good parent training curriculum? Does anybody know, you know, there's a lot of people questioning what to use, how can I help support parents? And this sounds really exciting. So you have to keep us posted on that. Um, I would love for you to talk about in our last little segment here um, about the natural environment teaching versus NDBI. I know that's something you probably do a whole talk for us about, um, but can you just talk about that? briefly and just kind of what you wanted to share. I would love to hear it. Yeah. So the paper that you mentioned, Laura Schreiberman et al. 2015 was sort of the, um, you know, is in JAD, the Journal of Autism and Developmental Disorders, where they explain what NDVIs are. And that's Mm -hmm. when they kind of coined that term. So it is a relatively new term. So I, um, I don't think that Um, everyone is really that familiar with it quite yet. Um, And so I think it's important to disseminate the information, just like you were saying. There is an ABBA special interest group focused on on NDBIs um, in case any, you know, anyone who attends ABBA is interested in that. I just want to shout out. um, (laughs) Oh, I've been on this site. I was like, okay, I need to have all these people on my podcast. So don't worry. I I have really sleuthed the internet. Yes, I have been on the page. Okay. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Um, So, you know, kind of thinking about natural environment training, that's an approach that behavior analysts are very familiar with. It's been around since the 90s, at least, um, where we are looking at, you know, kind of generalizing skills from this contrived, just really structured, discrete trial training environment. Maybe that's more at the table, which I have nothing against discrete trial teaching. So I know that there's a time and place for everything and every child is different. And as a special educator, I believe in individualization above all else. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, when we, when we think about like, sort of the ABLES curriculum and mm-hmm. just prior to the VB map, um, NET is really taking those skills and generalizing them to a more natural environment, whether that's a play-based environment, kind of contriving establishing operations, running through systematic prompting hierarchies and using more natural contingencies than you would in a DTT format. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of like a continuum 
But the thing with NET, which is a great teaching arrangement, I've mm-hmm. used it for decades, <laughs> um, but it doesn't have the um, developmental strategies in, mm-hmm. in the protocols that we know are so important for young children. Mm-hmm. So when we think about autism diagnoses are being, um, children are, in, are being diagnosed earlier and earlier. Mm-hmm. We can't necessarily take our evidence-based practices and just apply them to toddlers, right? Because they aren't really developmentally appropriate all of the time. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is why I am so passionate about NDBIs is because it takes the child development piece as front and center. So kind of going off of the project impact curriculum, what I really love about it, it has a a pyramid. The bottom of the pyramid, units one and two are focusing on your child and adjusting your communication. So right off the bat, it starts with developmental approaches. So these are approaches that we know are really important for all children not just children on the spectrum, but we have to amp them up a little bit when we have children who are trying to really um, socially connect with them um, and get on the floor, get face-to-face, be super animated, mm-hmm. adjust our language, which, um, you know, there's different schools of thought in that as well, but generally using language modeling strategies mm-hmm. where it is kind of that classical conditioning or stimulus-stimulus pairing where we're not we're not really expecting them to imitate it necessarily. We're not necessarily running through a prompting hierarchy in, in that moment, unless kind of when you go up that triangle, they have teaching new skills um, where we, we are prompting more. Um, but I guess what I would say to anyone who um, is curious about NDBIs is that you know, there's nothing in our task list for behavior analysts Mm -hmm. that's focused on child development. There's nothing in our task list that's focused on families. There's nothing um, focused on any developmental strategies, which not every BCBA needs those, right? Not every BCBA is going to work with young children in an early intervention environment. However, most will. 70% or more will. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it, it, it really is, in my opinion, imperative that we educate ourselves in child development, those those um, so strategies. It's not just pairing. I'm not talking about pairing yourself with reinforcement. I'm talking about social connection and, mm-hmm. and a sensory, like um, getting really, you know, um, involved with the child's sensory system mm-hmm. um, so that we can we can take the technologies that we know are so effective, but then contextualize them for a toddler, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot of our children are coming in and they're being approved for ABA 40 hours a week sometimes at 18 months old. Mm-hmm. And there should be a huge family component there. Mm-hmm. There's most of it should be parent training, in my opinion, at that mm-hmm. age. Yeah. It should be all play-based. Mm-hmm. It should be all experiencing the world through your senses because that's what babies and toddlers are learning to do, um, you know. And so that's that's kind of um, what what differentiates the two approaches. Yeah, I love that. I love you making a point of that. And I actually have an ASHA an ACE course that is about speech and language development milestones for ages one 
zero to five, I think it is, um, that we'll link to. I was on Behavioral Observations podcast a year ago with Matt Sicoria, and he was like, what do you think is missing from the BCBA uh, training that we take, the classes? And I was like, oh my goodness. I mean, milestones, speech and language milestones, because you can't replace having a speech therapist. I mean, having a speech therapist on staff is is great, you know, but it, we have to have that training. We have to know, not to say that everybody's going to have this typical trajectory of language and speech development growth, but I do think it's so important. And I always include on my slide decks because I feel like people think I'm not ABA enough because I'm also a speech therapist. So I do think, um, you know, more holistically, but I always say we have to take a step back in order for us to take a step forward. And I always include a slide on what taskless items I am going over, right? That is um, about helping our students. But you're right. I think these things are so very important. I think they're good to dialogue about because we are helping so many kids who are in early intervention. I am actually licensed in um, actually Oregon and Washington State. And what I do in Washington State, they have this really amazing program. It's a 12-week program. And the students that qualify, it's covered by insurance. They get 12 weeks of ABA and they get 12 weeks of speech therapy. Well, on a logistical standpoint, it's hard for the clinics because they may have like three kids who need a half hour a week, you know, and maybe they're spread across five different clinics in Washington State, which is so vast. Um, and so I've been helping out uh, uh, clinics there who are in this program because sometimes it's hard for them to find a speech therapist. We really enjoy being able to help with those students because they are students that are younger and, you know, we are giving a boost and we are modeling that. Um, and, you know, we could go on and on, but I think a big part of that too is training staff and training frontline staff and RBTs. And because a lot of these things that we're talking about today are extremely nuanced, nuanced for BCBAs, nuanced for then them trying to train RBTs and having a good system and set in place. And, you know, I just think we have a lot of dissemination, a lot of sharing to do. So, um, yes. I'm, you know, there's a lot that we could talk about. Um, but I'm so glad that you came on today. And if people are more interested in learning about you and your work, um, what's the best way for them to find you? The best way to find me would be via email, <laughs> um, which I can um, give you my email address. Okay, um, great. So it's tjr27 at techstate.edu. So txstate.edu. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can always send me a message on there. Um, so yeah, I, I would love to chat more about this. I had so much fun. <laughs> I could do this for about three more hours. <laughs> yay, yay. To future course in, in the makings. Everybody stay tuned. Well, thank you so much, Tracy, for coming on. It was really a delight to talk with you today. It was lovely meeting you, Rose. Thanks for having me. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.